Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. What's going on, everybody? And welcome in to Commanding the Huddle. I am your host, Ryan Fowler, and holy smokes, is there anything to talk about for the Washington Commanders as we sit here on Monday, February 5th to kick off the week? Folks, buckle your seatbelts, strap in. This is going to be a heck of an episode. We are talking Dan Quinn, Cliff Kingsbury, Joe Witt Jr. following Dan Quinn from Dallas, and of course, we are talking the Senior Bowl. I got back from Mobile just a few days ago. We're going to recap everything, offensive side of the ball, defensive side of the ball, prospects that stood out, a couple guys I wanted to see more of, guys that I had an opportunity to speak with down there, a lot of good information, walking around the streets of Mobile and inside the Renaissance Hotel, if you guys are familiar with the area down there, that is really the hub of everything, all things Senior Bowl. I was there all week long talking to individuals in the league, players, agents, Late nights, early mornings in Mobile. It's the best time of the year. Draft season is here. We are kicked into full gear. It is Super Bowl week as well. Guys, football, look, football is king. Even when there isn't 10, 11 games happening, right, on a certain Sunday, I mean, then we look forward to a Monday night game or a Thursday night game or a doubleheader on a Saturday. There's always something that just is going on inside the NFL. So, As the Kansas City Chiefs and the San Francisco 49ers are the last two teams standing in the NFL, and they're getting prepped to battle in Las Vegas this weekend. For us, for the Burgundy and Gold, we are talking NFL draft and the immediate future of this football team. I want to get to the Senior Bowl guys in just a little bit, but I want to start off today with the biggest addition of the offseason. Right after hiring Adam Peters, Washington didn't waste any time bringing in head coach Dan Quinn, the former DC of the Dallas Cowboys, the success he had with the Atlanta Falcons. People forget he was in Seattle, the Legion of Boom, Cam Chancellor, Earl Thomas, Richard Sherman, Bobby Wagner, that second and third level of the defense. He was in Seattle for that time. This is a head coaching hire, guys, that I'm positive about, I'm excited about. Now, I know, look, some of the things you're hearing from other places... He's a well-respected guy, he's a culture guy, he's a leader, he's a defensive-minded head coach. And for some of you may think, well, that sounds a lot like Ron Rivera. And I've even seen some graphics these last few days as far as people putting head-to-head Dan Quinn's success as a head coach and Ron Rivera's success as a head coach. But really, folks, the narrative surrounding Ron Rivera post-Carolina, or when Cam Newton wasn't at quarterback, was Ron Rivera was a drastically below-average head coach. And that's what we saw during his time in Washington. So now with Dan Quinn coming in to D.C., for a lot of you out there, you may think, man, that, that Packers game, I don't know what to think. And, and folks, I said it on here. I potentially thought that that Packers game, the way Jordan Love and the Green Bay Packers offense tore apart Dan Quinn's defense could have cost him the D.C. job in Dallas and potential head coaching opportunities. But you take away that game and you see how he's developed that defense to where, look, drafting and free agency-wise, which Dan Quinn has a little bit of a say, but overall it's Jerry Jones pushing the buttons for the Cowboys. The personnel that they use specifically at the linebacker spot, the core of their defense, struggled for years. This is a group, guys, that we forget. Sean Lee. Jalen Smith, 
Leighton Vander Esch. They drafted Micah Parsons to play off-ball linebacker, not edge. Guys, out of Penn State, they did not draft Micah Parsons to play five-tech with his hand in the dirt. They drafted him to be eight off-ball linebacker, right? They tried it with Damone Clark out of LSU, who's had a decent year this year, but missed his entire first year with a back injury. They drafted DeMarvin Overshone from Texas this year, missed the majority of the season. They drafted our old friend, Jabril Cox, North Dakota State to LSU transfer. That hybrid second, third level defender tried it with him. Didn't work out. Now he's with Washington. What about a guy like Marquise Bell, former undrafted guy out of Florida A&M that came in this year and played linebacker, usually he's playing safety. Or a guy like Keanu Neal that we've seen over the years. That's kind of played that Cam Curl, Derek Forrest, second, third level hybrid defender as well. There's been a ton of bodies within the core of that Dallas defense to where it's just been a mishmash of guys. Throwing them in, taking them out, throwing them in, taking them out to see how the personnel is going to evolve around him. But for me, the coaching goes on the outside. And the job that Dan Quinn and Joe Witt Jr., who's now the defensive coordinator for this Washington Commanders group coming over again, following Dan Quinn, is the job they did with guys like Deron Bland, Trayvon Diggs, and even more so, Stephon Gilmore. So when they added him from Indy, think back to a couple years ago. Defensive player of the year with the New England Patriots. And a lot of people thought, well, Stephon's over the hill. And they came in this year and were excellent for 95% of the season. Now, from a commander's perspective, I'm sure we all love to see Dallas lose in the playoffs. Right? We love to see that. But now bringing context back to it with Dan Quinn as the head coach and Joe Witt as the defensive coordinator... And I'm sure those guys are going to have a lot of conversation each and every week for whatever offense they're going to prepare for. The secondary and the instinctive ball players that Trayvon were and Duran were for Dan Quinn. And looking at a guy like Emmanuel Forbes Jr., Washington's 16th overall selection in the draft last year on day one in Kansas City. And I'm excited for a guy like Emmanuel Forbes, for Witt and Quinn to get their fingerprints on him and coach him up. Because that's what I think lacked, where Jack Del Rio wanted to throw him into the fire as a man corner against A.J. Brown the first month of the season and D.J. Moore. That's not going to work. Zone corner, allow him to play zone. You saw what Dallas did with Deron and Trayvon. A lot of zone, working downhill, using instincts. That's why both those guys, the last two, three years, they really did premier ball hawks in football. Both guys. Washington drafted Emmanuel on day one because of what? He was the premier ball hawk in the 2023 draft class. Washington still has, they need help at corner. See what they'll do with Kendall Fuller because I don't think Benjamin St. Just is a CB1 in this league and I don't think Emmanuel Forbes, I can't sit here and say that right now, that he's a CB1 in this league. But what I do know is what Dan Quinn likes to do on defense. It's very simple, folks. It's not a lot of what you see with Vic Fangio who we're going to see this year twice leading that Eagles defense as their DC. It's a lot of cover one, cover two, cover three. Simple stuff that quarterbacks in middle school understand how to beat. Every offense has cover one, cover two, and cover three beaters inside their offense. You learn as a quarterback to beat those types of defenses when you're 12, 13 years old. But what he does do is he mixes up the looks post-snap to where as a quarterback approaches the line of scrimmage, what he's seeing from a fundamental perspective as he arrives at the line of scrimmage and breaks the huddle, it's not what is actually happening post-snap. 
Whether you look at Micah Parsons and the things that he did with him, playing inside the box and then working out to the fringe areas, now Washington doesn't have a Micah Parsons on their defense. So who could potentially play that role to where linebackers are doing things that corners do and corners are doing what linebackers do, working inside the box and throwing different looks to the offense? Dan Quinn also relies on his front four to get after people. So Deron Payne and John Allen are going to have to step up. They're going to look them in the face and say, 93, 94, I need more. Because there were times this year when both of those guys disappeared. And can't have it. You simply cannot have it. So again, very simple stuff from Dan Quinn and what to expect from him from a schematic perspective on defense. Again, a lot of cover two, cover three. But you're also going to see some man as well. Because there's no defense in football, ladies and gentlemen, that just runs man or just runs zone. But there's not a lot of trickiness, exotic looks from Dan Quinn. You're not going to see a lot of six or seven man pressure, some unique stuff that you see from across the league, or a ton of simulated pressures, meaning he's sending guys that aren't your down four linemen or your down three linemen, whatever they want to do along the front. So I'm excited for Dan Quinn. Now it's about getting the personnel in the building to do what you want to do on defense. You need a couple edge guys. You need some linebackers and you need some corners. In the safeties room, I like what Washington has in the trio of Derek Forrest, Percy Butler, and Cam Curl. Barring Cam Curl, of course, returning to Washington. I've said it on other shows as well, and I'll say it here. Everything I've heard out of Cam Curl's camp and from his agent directly is that they would like to be in Washington moving forward in the next three or four years. Now they're going to have to pay him like a top 10 safety most likely in football, and Cam deserves that, specifically for what he's done coming out of Arkansas as a late day three pick, a hell of a pick. He's everything for Washington's defense. You could say that Cam Curl is the glue guy for the commander's defense. He's excellent, and I would love to see number 31 back moving into 2024. So that is the defensive side of the ball and what to expect off the hoof from Dan Quinn. And we'll see which guys he adds in the drafts. And of course, I will take you guys along this along the tracks, along the way for every single guy, how they're going to fit inside Dan Quinn's defense for whatever guys they add, both in free agency and the draft or via trade. Who knows? We'll see. On the flip side of things, offense with Cliff Kingsbury coming over from the USC Trojans, formerly the head coach of the Arizona Cardinals, working with Kyler Murray. I know the connections out there for a lot of you guys are saying, holy smokes, is Washington going to make a push for Caleb Williams? I will tell you guys this. I was down in Mobile again last week for the Senior Bowl, and I had a chance to meet Adam Peters, GM of your Washington Commanders, for just a couple-minute conversation, introducing myself, welcoming him to D.C., and... Just getting a gist of everything. The Dan Quinn hire, which couple guys have stood out to him so far in Mobile, and I'll keep those conversations to myself, but it was good to get to know Adam a little bit. The guy that he is, very personal guy, likable guy, charismatic, high energy. Loved my conversation, enjoyed my short conversation with Adam down in Mobile. However, Cliff Kingsbury, brand new sparkling face to this offense. Now, I will say this. I want to take a second just to say this. I appreciate the efforts that Eric Bieniemy made in this offense. I know it was not perfect. There were times I really liked what EB did, and there were times where I didn't like what EB did and asked Sam Howell to do, where a lot of the time it was 
treating Sam like he was Patrick Mahomes, to where slinging the ball 45 times a game. Now, granted, commanders were chasing the ball, chasing ball games all year long, and you're going to have to pass to stay in football games if you're trailing. And I understand that. But a lot of the time, I just simply did not like what I saw from Biennemi and the onus that he put on Sam Howell to consistently lead this offense. Put all everything on his shoulders, not relying on Brian Robinson, not relying on Antonio Gibson, Chris Rodriguez Jr. When you're running the ball well, to then get away from it and try to throw the ball six, seven, eight, nine times in a row, then you're putting him in precarious situations. You're putting him in third and eights, third and nine, third and tens. The defense knows you're going to throw the ball. They can pin their ears back, and the corners are saying, this is a young quarterback I know I can bait into making mistakes. I'm going to make a play in the football. Then you look up at the box score after the game and see he's got three interceptions. So that was the unfortunate stuff that I saw from EB in his one year in Washington. But with Cliff Kingsbury, dive into his offense just a little bit. The air raid offense is the principle, the architecture of what you're going to see from his offense. Now, when you think air raid, you think of Texas Tech where Cliff Kingsbury coached Patrick Mahomes, spread him out, and let that thing rip. Now, that's what you're going to see in Washington. Whether it's Caleb Williams or Drake May, I fully expect either of those guys to be suited up in the Burgundy and Gold Week 1 in 2024. That's my expectation. However, there is a myth with the air raid offense, Cliff Kingsbury's air raid offense, his version, the way he's modified it to where you don't run the ball. And when you're in Arizona and the numbers of what they produced on the ground were near the league's best in rushing yards and rushing attempts in the air raid offense. Now, the major difference between some offenses that have these air raid principles and what Cliff Kingsbury does is the run game wants to live inside the tackles with wider bodies at tackle, guard, and center. Living within that 0, 1, 2, 3, 4 hole within the guards, inside shoulder of the tackle. Really downhill football. So when I look at this Washington offense, and two guys we're going to see back next year for sure is Brian Robinson Jr. and Chris Rodriguez Jr. And I can't wait for those guys because, look, I I don't know if you guys saw Brian Robinson's tweet last night. He's excited to get going in this offense because he understands the principles of Cliff Kingsbury to where, look, sometimes they might line up in, in 10 personnel. A lot of teams live in that 11 personnel, so one running back, one tight end. Cliff may say, look, I just want to live with one running back and no tight ends and four wideouts. So you got Terry and Jahan and hopefully Curtis Samuels back. And then your other wide receiver, who, who's that going to be? We'll see. I would not be shocked if Washington adds another receiver this year and lets Jamison Crowder go and Byron Pringle go. Those types of guys. Jami Brown, I don't know if he's going to be back in D.C. So those types of ball players, for like Brian Robinson, to where, look, he's going to sling it around. New quarterback in town, they're going to sling it. But he's also going to get his touches. Because again, the Cardinals, as much attention as the air raid gets for just we're going to spread you out horizontally and we're going to attack you north-south vertically down the field, Cliff Kingsbury's ability to run the football as well out of those spread out sets to where you just you don't have anybody attached in line as that tight end to where you could just have a quarterback and a running back next to his hip pocket and shotgun and you're still running the football at six or seven man boxes. That's what Cliff Kingsbury did in Arizona. A little bit different, right? Working with Lincoln Riley and, of course, Caleb Williams at USC. But those are the principles of his offense. Now, from a passing game perspective and what you're going to see from Cliff in this offense, most likely, especially 
if it is Caleb Williams, who he has a ton of familiarity with, of course, coming over from USC, you're going to see a lot of crossers over the middle of the field. Terry McLaurin, Jahan Dotson, forcing teams to add another DB onto the field and chasing guys across the field that can run 4-3, just like Terry can. That's a nightmare. And guys, the hardest route to cover in football is the crossing route. Why? Because it's a full sprint across the field against a guy like Terry McLaurin. Good luck. There's not a lot of guys in football that can stick hip to hip with Terry McLaurin. Honestly, I don't know if there's one, to be frank with you guys. So whether they're facing zone or facing man, those crossers to beat those zones and force guys to communicate who they're passing off to who, there's going to be some mesh concepts over the middle field. There's a lot of unique stuff that goes into Cliff Kingsbury's passing attack, but you're going to need the right guy in the building to operate said offense. I don't, I can't look at this offense right now and say that that's going to be Sam Howell. We'll see what the team does with Sam. If he's QB2 in this offense and he's competing his tail off with a rookie at the second overall pick who is obviously going to start, that's fine. Now, could Washington say, no, we're not going to take a quarterback this year. We don't want to take that route. We want to sit at two. Maybe we'll trade back to seven or eight, get more picks, take a tackle, add, a, add, another, add another tackle, add an edge, add a corner, and then let Sam work in this offense and operate. But I, I just don't see that happening right now, guys. New OC in the building, new GM, no ties to any guy in this building. Starting fresh again with a new OC in Cliff Kingsbury, I think is where Washington is going to go in the draft with, again, a guy in Caleb Williams, local kid from Bowie, went to Gonzaga, went to Oklahoma, finished his career at USC, and then Drake May, of course, his career with the North Carolina Tar Heels. But I'm excited, guys. I think Cliff Kingsbury is a, it's a sparkling addition. It, it really is. And the ability for him to, you look at his past, right, with Kyler Murray and Patrick Mahomes and Caleb Williams, holy hell. That's a hell of a trio of talent at the quarterback position. And for me, I would love to see what would happen with Caleb Williams in D.C. It would be exciting football, I'll tell you that. Now, there's going to be some things that Caleb has to improve on as far as being in just improvisation, the creativity, some of the things he got away with in college, he's simply not going to get away with at the NFL level. But his ability as a quarterback under center to win inside a structure and the stuff he does outside of structure, there's a lot of comparisons to what he does with Patrick Mahomes. And when you throw Patrick Mahomes' name with anybody, you kind of shy away a little bit and say, well, let, let's just take a second here. But the creativity part of Caleb Williams' game outside of structure and to extend plays and make any throw in the book from any arm angle, whether he's running to his left as a right-handed quarterback or running to his arm side, is simply sensational. And I would love to see that in Washington. Not to say Drake May isn't Caleb Williams, but he's not. And those are just the little things that separate these guys when you want to look at, well, how special is Caleb Williams compared to how special Drake May could be? And all of this stuff matters to the fact where, what are their surroundings going to be? Not just from an, a talent perspective at receiver, right? Because if you're Caleb Williams or Drake May and you look at Washington and you say, wow, man, Terry McLaurin and Jahan Dotson and they got Curtis Samuel there who's hopefully they bring back and most likely going to be an addition or two, we'll see, in the tight ends room. And man, Brian Robinson and Chris Rodriguez can really tote the rock. And Sam Cosme at right guard, that's a definitely a piece to move forward. And 
They're going to make additions along the front five because there's no ties with anybody there. Then you look at the voice that's going to be in his headset and a shoulder to lean on and Cliff Kingsbury that's been around the block a little bit. And it's unfortunate how we always look at these guys' past in the league and say, well, he wasn't good here, so he's not going to be good here. Of course, there's context with everything. You could say that about anybody. Right? You could say, well, Caleb Williams at USC, well, there were times where he just flat out wasn't good. The Notre Dame game, I didn't like what I saw. Or the Arizona game, I didn't like what I saw from Caleb Williams. But what about the other 90% of games? So there's context, of course, with everything. And it correlates. Whatever you do at the top of the draft, whatever Washington's going to do inside the top five, top ten, wherever they make their first pick. I do expect that number two overall. But wherever they make their first pick and whoever they add, Everything does correlate, specifically if you're adding a young quarterback. Front five, running backs to take the pressure off, and guys on the outside to separate, and of course, what you're doing inside the offensive architecture, and what you're looking at as a quarterback, as a young guy in the NFL, to where the game speed is going to take a little bit to adjust to. But overall, the foundation in Washington, guys, is coming together. You got a beautiful ownership group, excited for this group, Josh Harris, Magic Johnson, GM Adam Peters, head coach Dan Quinn, DC Joe Witt Jr., who, by the way, is going to get after people. I can't wait for that. And his ability to, again, coach those corners, and secondary specifically, coming over from Dallas. Can't wait to see what he does with the corners in Washington. And that, again, that secondary group I mentioned with Forrest, Curl, and Percy Butler. Then you got a top overall, top five overall pick. You got over 80 million projected in cap space, which is number one in the league right now. You got a handful of picks inside the top 105 selections. It's an excellent foundation. That's the base that you'd like. That's why the commander's GM position, the head coaching position. And as we move forward the last few weeks with OC and DC is why it was so darn intriguing. Because there's a lot of stuff to build on. And you got core guys on either side of the ball. That's a fact. For a lot of these teams that are rebuilding, who you try to look and say, who's their core? Carolina, who's their core? Brian Burns? He may be gone. Offensively, is it Bryce Young? Is he a core guy? I would say he's a core guy, but year one was tough for Bryce. Is it tackle a Kemakwanu that was terrible this year? I, I can't say he's a core guy. But in Washington, you got Terry McLaurin and Jahan Dotson, Brian Robinson. You can say all three of those guys are core pieces. On the defensive side of the ball, Deron Payne, John Allen, probably two of the top five defensive tackles in all of football. Those are core foundational pieces. That every single individual that's now in Washington that I've mentioned throughout this episode know that they're there. And you can build around those guys. So I am excited. Extremely excited. As you guys should be. Remaining positive towards this thing. I know we live in a microwave society as far as everything is expected in 5 seconds, 10 seconds, or the NFL's perspective, 1 year, 2 years. But it does take a little bit of time. Allow it to marinate a little bit. Build up. Right? Just like planting a, planting something in your garden. Letting that thing grow. Get the roots down under the soil. Nobody sees it, but allow those roots to develop. And then the plant starts to sprout. And then you got leaves everywhere. And then you look out and you got a tree that's sitting there for, for 40 years. That's the type of stuff that I'm excited about and how this team is developing. So let's sway from Washington side of things to a little bit of a neutral ground and a draft ground. And I want to talk about the Senior Bowl. First things first with the Senior Bowl, I, I always appreciate the job that Jim Nagy and his staff do each and every year to get guys from every corner of the country, doesn't matter if you're a Power 5 guy, Group of 5 guy, or lower level guy, 
you get an opportunity to put your collegiate helmet on for just one last time and strap up and compete. Because at the end of the day, post-senior bowl, now all the pre-draft bowls and showcases are over, right? Hula, Tropical, Shrine Bowl, Senior Bowl, they're all done. But the ability to put on your collegiate helmet for one last time just provides a sense of almost nostalgia for a lot of these guys to say, man, this is my last chance to show up and compete. No matter what they've done the last three, four, some five years of their career, to come down in Mobile and showcase themselves in a neutral environment, on neutral ground, with guys they really never seen before, never competed with, and some of them, yeah, had teammates there, but a lot of them didn't. And what you, what can you do in an environment that's really going to be a lot like the NFL? It's where you're showing up in a locker room and around a lot of guys that you've just never simply worked with before. And Mobile every year is great. I know for me, the last few years going down to Mobile, the weather has not worked out. It's always raining and it's cold and it doesn't really present you a great environment and atmosphere to really look at these guys and see what they see what they have as players with live eyes, not away from the tape. But this year it was mid sixties and sunny every single day of work, and it was a joy to see a lot of these guys up close and personal again wearing their collegiate helmet for the last time, their biggest interview yet of their young careers. Now, when we get to Indy in just a few weeks, they're going to be sitting down. They're going to be doing medicals, which is going to be huge for a lot of guys like Peyton Wilson, linebacker from NC State, Michael Penix, quarterback from Washington, and Leatu Latu, edge rusher from UCLA, who I did see down in Mobile and was flat out sensational. And I, I don't think he gets out of the top 10, 11 picks in this draft, flat out. He moves different in, in person. But the guys that I wanted to see show up, the guys I wanted to see more of and really solidify their stock as first round guys, Tyler Guyton from Oklahoma. Talise Fuwaga from Oregon State, Jordan Morgan from Arizona, Kingsley Sumatia from BYU, former five-star recruit and transfer from Oregon. Those guys all were excellent. And for me, really, it starts with Tyler Guyton. I, I've talked to you guys about him a bunch on here. I'm sure you've seen some of my tweets. I'm sure you've seen other stuff around the industry as far as the special movement skills, the athleticism that Tyler Guyton plays the position with. And for me, for me, there is not a ton of separation between a guy like Olufushanu and Tyler Guyton for me in this class. I don't think there is. I don't think Olufushanu is going to be a top five or six pick that we've talked a lot about these last few weeks. I don't see Tyler Guyton slipping out of the top 15 picks. So my top three tackles in this class, I don't see getting out of the top 15. Joe Walt from Notre Dame is my top tackle. Then it's Olu as that 2A, and then it's 2B with Tyler Guyton. I think all three of those guys deserve to go in the top 15 picks. They are all sensational. And seeing, I have not seen Joe Walt in person. I have not seen Olu Fashano in person. I plan to be up at Penn State's Pro Day in these, in these next few months to see him live, see him move live. But the tape is, is it's got a lot of good stuff on tape for Olu Fashano. But seeing Tyler Guyton live at 320 plus pounds, a legit 6'7", his movement skills are simply sensational, and he's got an underappreciated game as a run blocker. Now, he's got the athleticism and foot, and foot speed to mirror and match guys on the right side and on the left side. There's going to be a transition if the team asks him to be a left tackle, because he did live at right tackle for the Sooners. But he's got everything in the bag and checks off all the boxes you look for in a guy that you want protecting your quarterback's arm side or blind side. He's just sensational. And I couldn't, I can't say enough good things about him. 
Talise Fuaga, same thing. He was excellent all week long. Kingsley, I thought, had a hell of a week. Dom Pooney from Kansas, I think a guy that goes in the second round, early portions of the third round, was excited to see him work. Some days he was great, some days he was okay. But overall, it's a guy I want to take as a, as a high-value selection, bang-for-your-buck pick within the top 60 or 70 selections. Jackson Powers Johnson, interior offensive lineman from Oregon. We came into the week expecting to see Graham Barton compete, who lives at tackle for Duke, but was looked upon potentially as the top center in the class. He didn't show up. Troy Fautano from Washington didn't show up. Cedric Van Pran, another one of the top centers in the class from Georgia, didn't show up. But Jackson was there. And of the two days of practice that he showed up, I didn't, didn't compete Thursday and did not compete in the game. Of the 15 to 20 reps that he got in isolated scenarios, so one-on-one opportunities, they did about seven or eight a day for each guy along the offensive lines. Always good to see against different skill sets, whether he's working at center or at guard. He was unstoppable, and he was dominant. He is, if you've never seen Jackson Powers Johnson play, go to your fridge, just put a helmet on. And I said the same thing about Cooper Beebe in my Senior Bowl offensive primer weeks ago. So if you guys are still interested in that, all the guys that were supposed to be down at the Senior Bowl on offense, you can go back just a couple episodes and tune into that where I previewed every guy if you're just looking for more information on those guys. But Cooper was not down in Mobile. We did not see him live. But Jackson was outstanding. He is my top center in the class. And I do, I do think he goes on night one. Whether you want to work him downhill in the run game north-south, whether you want to do some unique things with him. You don't see the centers pulling a lot, but he could do that if you ask him to. And then he's able to sink that butt down and anchor against a guy more of a lighter one or zero within the interior. That's maybe 280, 285, 290. Or you get a guy, a big boy like Tavondre Sweat at 330, 340 pounds. That's the type of bodies that he can counter with consistency. And as they pivot in the middle of the offensive line, your quarterback of the front five, Jackson is flat out. He was awesome. He was just awesome. A stud of a football player, a stud of a kid, and whoever gets him in the first round is going to get a piece for the middle of their offensive line uh, for a long, long time. Uh, A few other guys that popped to me on offense, guys. Roman Wilson from Michigan coming off a national championship. I posted a graphic on my Twitter, again, at underscore Ryan Fowler. He was my winner of the week. Um, Probably the best player in attendance for me was Roman Wilson. He's not going to be a wide receiver one in the NFL. He's not going to be a guy that you hear your name, hear his name, excuse me, in the top 32 picks. But you want a guy in the top 40, top 50. Um, I fully expect him to be a second round pick in April. I think he's going to run well. I, I don't think teams out there may try to be cute with Roman as far as he doesn't fit their height, weight, speed thresholds that a lot of these teams have. But if you just want a flat out good football player as a wide receiver too in your offense that you can line inside the slot or on the outside designated touches, find soft spots in zone, play bigger than your frame, beat guys in man, be a threat in the red zone. Um, Roman Wilson's one of my favorite wide receivers in this class. I came into the week wanting to see him live and really see how he moves in space and the, the play speed that he has, the nuances of how he approaches the position, and he was just sensational. Roman had a one-on-one rep, I believe it was Wednesday's practice against Quinion Mitchell from Toledo. The top corner in attendance and potentially the top corner in this entire darn draft class. Uh, again, a group of five guy that came into the week. Him and, and Malachi Corley, Western, Western Kentucky wide receiver as far as who's going to be the top group of five guy. And Toledo's Quinion Mitchell was just awesome. Man zone, he's got length, he can run. Those are the big check marks that scouts want to check off when they look at his game. And he was fantastic uh, as well. But Roman had a one-on-one rep against him. 
little outbreaker in the shallow areas, sells it to the inside, breaks out, and makes Quinion look silly, where he's got five yards of separation. Quarterback makes a terrible throw. Roman reaches back with one hand, catches it near the sideline, knees down on the ground. It would have been a catch. Now, it would have been like a three, four-yard game, but in that one-on-one scenario, and you kind of extrapolate that to where it could have been a first and goal at the one or two when he's running that route, and man, against man, that's a touchdown. And it's just good stuff from Roman Wilson. And I fully expect him again to be a second-round pick as we get uh, to April. Luke McCaffrey had a couple nice plays throughout the week from Rice. I think he's going to be a bang-for-your-buck type of pick um, on, on on day three. Chris Braswell from Alabama made it look easy in the run game and then pass, pass rush drills, working inside, working outside, speed to power. Just a, a very powerful individual, uh, explosive kid, looks the part. You know what you're going to get from guys out of Alabama. You know they're well-coached. You know they're, they're rocked-up dudes. You know they look the part as well. And he just... I, Chris Braswell, for me, is definitely going to be a top 45 pick in this class. Um, Delmar Glaze from Maryland. He's an offensive tackle. We had a lot of conversations last year, if you guys remember, about Jalen Duncan from Maryland that went to Tennessee. And I think Delmar... Look, there were conversations in the 2022 summer, before the 2022 season, that Jalen Duncan was the top tackle in last year's class. Now, it didn't develop that way. However, when I watched Delmar Glaze as someone that's a late second round, third round pick for me, he was awesome in Mobile. I loved his tape. Ohio State tape, Michigan State tape. There were maybe one or two reps to where you could say the defensive lineman won the rep. And then he comes down to Mobile and at guard and tackle, so that versatility is excellent for Delmar. And he was sensational all week long. I mean, his hands are excellent. The way in which he can maintain his balance against a guy that wants to bull rush or try to threaten that outside shoulder and kick out. You rarely see him make the ultimate sin of an offensive tackle of trying to get into that third kick step. He never does that. So he gets it out to where, look, if I have to move back up into the pocket and counter that inside shoulder, I can. Or if I have to kind of turn my body and maybe throw this guy out of the club a little bit with my after turning my hips. It's just good technique from him. And I, I loved what I saw from him down in Mobile. And I think even for Washington's perspective or any team out there that needs a tackle, again, late second round, middle portions of the third round, I don't think he gets out of that spot. Specifically, again, what we saw from Maryland and the tape he saw that we enjoyed and down in Mobile and just seeing the guy move live. Um, really good stuff from Delmar Glaze and a tackle to know on day two. Moving forward, Bo Braid from Maryland. I had an interview with him that will be out on my social media here in these next few days. Uh, he mentioned to me that he's met with Washington multiple times and all interviews went well. Now, I will say for, for you guys out there that are looking at or people are posting, reporting senior bowl meetings with guys, um, I will say take those with a grain of salt. For me, if you guys go on my Twitter, you see me reporting stuff from Shrine. That's specifically because it's not set up at Shrine to where every guy meets with every team. Those are more requested, more formal type of interviews. At the senior bowl, every team meets with every guy. Now, I will say... That a lot of guys had requested interviews each and every night. I remember speaking with Javian Cohen, uh, guard from Miami, who also had a good week and he was playing on a bum foot the entire week and glad he battled it out. Tough kid, really good, really good dude. I expect to be um, in that bucket of, again, late second round, third round guys and interior offensive linemen. And he had his list of about five, six, seven guys, teams each and every night that he had to report to of requested interviews that are 15 minutes. So they'd have practice during the day have a little bit of time to chill out. Then you'd have interviews and all types of other stuff they'd be doing throughout the evening. So again, 
All players at the Senior Bowl met with every team at least once. And then there's some requested interviews that happen after that that maybe require a little bit more attention to those. But once we get to the Combine, and there's going to be formal interviews and informals, and then, of course, post-Combine to when guys are meeting with teams separately and, of course, those top 30 visits, I'll have all that stuff covered for you guys, again, on my Twitter, at underscore Ryan Fowler. But, again, back to Bo Braid from Maryland. If Washington allows Cam Curl to walk, Bo Braid is that guy that could step in right away and fill that role nicely because I don't want him playing that single high, too high a lot of the time. We saw it at Maryland, but he's not a Kyle Hamilton and he's not a Derwin James to where you can line him in single high and say, that's what, that's what we're going to do. We saw that this year from Jack Del Rio when Washington, excuse me, from Ron Rivera in his first game as the quote-unquote quote, quote DC and they're lying in single, single high with Percy Butler at 10 yards depth, which makes no sense in hell as to why they did that. But Bo Braid has that robber spot near the line of scrimmage, five to 10 yards off, playing in the hashes and extending to the numbers. Really like his game as well from the University of Maryland. Physical kid as well and looks the part and is just a heck of an individual. Again, from the DMV area and be really cool to see him uh, stay home. Braden Fisk from Florida State. Holy smokes, what a hell of a week from him. I love him as a designated one or three tech within the middle of your defense. We are beyond the days of getting a guy that's 350 pounds and throwing him in at one tech and saying, hey, clog a gap for me. I got to have you on all three downs and be able to push the pocket on a third and seven, third and eight, third and nine. And Braden Fisk, a Western Michigan transfer down to Tallahassee, a Tallahassee and Florida State defense that was loaded uh, this year with Jared Verse. And you saw Jerry and Jones, the corner out at Shrine, and Kalen Deloach. And just the names go on and on. And Braden had a hell of a week. I love what I saw from him. His former teammate at Western Michigan and Marshawn Neeland that stayed at Western Michigan. Imagine those two guys if they stayed up at Western Michigan. That, that would have been a hell of a duo. One of Really, that would have been one of the best defensive tackle edge rusher duos in all of college football, regardless of conference and regardless of talent around you. That, that would have been fantastic. But again, Braden Fisk was sensational. Marshawn Neeland, grown man on the edge. Expect him to be right in the middle of the second round conversation. Big dude, physical, easy setting the edge in the run, can win with power. Want to see a little bit more twitch, a little bit more flexibility with him around the outside shoulder, but overall in Mobile, he was excellent. Uh, Jarvis Brownlee Jr., corner from Louisville. I would even say, guys, that he was the best corner in attendance, not named Quinion Mitchell. And the cool story with Jarvis is he wasn't supposed to be there at all. He didn't have an invite. His teammate in Quincy Riley initially accepted his invite to go down to Mobile. And Quincy retracted his acceptance, went back to school. Everything I've heard out of Louisville is that Quincy's expecting himself to play himself into the first round next year. So maybe we'll see him down at the Senior Bowl next year. But Jarvis got an opportunity to come in and he's physical. He made plays in the football, including an interception in the game on Saturday. He was everywhere. And you love stories like that for guys toward, look, guys, he was not even going to show up in Mobile and compete. And he comes in there, and now he might not even made out of the top 50 picks, 60 picks. Made himself a ton of money, inside-out versatility. He's someone that will not hesitate to play special teams as well. Just loved his game. Uh, again, Jarvis Brownlee from Louisville. You guys are looking for a corner to know. In that day two bucket, Jarvis is absolutely uh, a name to know. Really like what I saw from Ricky Pearsall from Florida, as expected. 
Um, Darius Robinson from Missouri. I really liked his hands popped on tape. I thought he had the strongest hands out of anybody in the class. That popped up a lot at edge, and, and they even moved him in to play some three-tech. So outside the shoulder of the right guard or left guard, he was excellent there as well, just pushing guys back. Uh, Dylan Laub, running back from New Hampshire, was one of my winners of the week. Man, don't look at the helmet when it comes to Dylan Laub. And, and I think this is just so special of scouting nowadays to where it's not just power five guys and trying to make it work with a guy that maybe has a few traits. Scouting is everywhere. It's at every level. And Dylan came in there as a kid from New Hampshire with power five helmets around him in UCLA and Oregon and Alabama and Ohio State and Clemson. And he just looked the part. He was the best by far route runner of any running back in attendance and really a top five route runner out of any skill position. So tight ends, receivers, and running backs. I think he made himself a lot of money. Now, I I still think he's going to be a guy early portions of day three, middle portions of day three to where he's going to go specifically because I I don't expect him to have a workload as a running back taking carries five, 10 times a game. I think he is going to be in that JD McKissick, Jarek McKinnon, Matt Breida, Jalen Warren type of role to where not just a change of pace guy, but can really threaten people as a route runner. I mean, I'm not going to compare him to Jameer Gibbs, but as far as just the threat that he can present a defense as a flex weapon in the slot or to the perimeter or coming out of the backfield on little angle routes or Texas routes out of the backfield, really high level stuff. He's rocked up. If you guys remember the build or the frame of Sidney Brown and Chase Brown last year, that's what Dylan looks like off the hoof. Just a rocked up dude, about 5'9", 5'10". Just a really impressive kid. Had multiple conversations with him and his representatives in Mobile. And it's a guy you want in your community and in your locker room uh, going to battle with you every day. So those are just a couple standouts for me, guys, throughout the week. A hell of a week down there. Again, seeing them live, the old eye test. I know we get into analytics and, of course, film matters the last three, four, five years for some of these guys. Um, but seeing them live is awesome. And I really appreciate, again, Jim and his staff putting that group together. I know he was probably frustrated with some of the names that dropped out 48 hours before that thing kicked off uh, in Alabama this week. But what an awesome group. What an awesome week. If you guys ever get the chance to go down to Mobile and watch the Senior Bowl, it it just every year seeing the top guys in attendance uh, is sensational. So that's going to do it, guys, for today's episode. I hope you guys enjoyed. Again, I'm on X at underscore Ryan Fowler. More written video and audio content coming out on my social media and at Bleacher Report and thedraftnetwork.com. Recently posted an article at Bleacher uh, two days ago. My 11 winners overall from Senior Bowl Week in written format. You guys can head over to bleacherreport.com for that. I will have an episode planning to come out next Monday for you guys. And of course, always appreciate you guys tuning in and you can find us anywhere you get your podcast. So enjoy your week. Enjoy the upcoming weekend. And enjoy the senior, excuse me, not the senior bowl, the Super Bowl. We got the penultimate game of the NFL campaign, Kansas City Chiefs and Patrick Mahomes and, of course, Brock Purdy and the loaded talent on the San Francisco 49ers offense. And, of course, we're going to see our old friend Chase Young in the Super Bowl. So I'm happy for Chase. We'll see what happens for the Niners. It's going to be a hell of a game. And, of course, Kansas City Chiefs, look, are we at that point now to where Patrick Mahomes win this thing? Are we going to crown him greatest of all time? Who the hell knows? But it's going to be a hell of a game can't wait hope you guys enjoyed as well and again as always appreciate you guys tuning in to me here at commanding the huddle so i will talk to you guys next monday i am ryan fowler and this is commanding the huddle thank you for listening to believe you can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform 
Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.